How are you guys doing this morning? Lights, camera, action. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm so glad that you guys are here with us. I'm one of the pastors here at Coastal Community Church. And uh, just so you guys know that guy that was blonde here, that's our worship leader at our Pompano Beach Campus. He's over here for the weekend hanging out with us. So come on, you guys, give it up for Kyle. Okay, or not. That's fine. Like, he'll go back to Pompano Beach next week, so you'll, you'll get Josh back. Don't, don't hate on him. Be nice to him while he's here. So, um, anyways, we're so glad that you're with us. We're, we've been in this series called I Love My Church over the last couple of weeks, and this series is all about the values and the vision of our church. And so, if you're here visiting with us or, or checking us out or you've been here for a little bit, this has been a great couple of weeks for you to be a part of this, this series to really get the heartbeat of, of who we are as a church and why we do some of the things that we do and what are some of the things that we value you very, very highly here at Coastal. And, and so I, I'm excited that you, you've been here for this because of the thing that we know, and Andy Stanley, who's a great pastor of a church called North Point Community Church, says this all the time. He says, vision leaks and, and the vision that we have here at Coastal, um, we, we want to make sure that it's always, you guys know exactly what we're all about. And so I just want to take a couple minutes today and just kind of give you some of that. You know, the thing that we've been about, the mission and vision of our church has always been, we want to help the unchurched, the the uncommitted, the undecided people of South Florida become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what we've been around since day one. It's been about how do we reach and impact people so they can be fully devoted in the relationship with Jesus, where every aspect of their life is, is a reflection of Jesus in their life, where their finances are reflecting Jesus, their relationships are reflecting Jesus, how they interact with people at work is reflecting Jesus, how they, how they talk is reflecting Jesus, to where everything in their life is encompassed by this relationship with God. And so that vision has never changed. The methodology in some of that has changed over time and probably will continue to change over time. But we've always been about a couple of things. And the three things have something really, really uh, big part of it in common. We've always been about weekend services, what we're doing here, gathering the body of saints together and worshiping God and growing together. We've always been about connect groups. We've been about doing life together outside the four walls of church. We believe that the greatest life change in people's lives isn't going to happen in a service. It's going to happen in a relationship and where we're, we're doing life with one another. And then we've always been about serving. And the common denominator in all of those things is it's, it's never been about buildings. It's never been about big church services and how do we get more people. It's always been about how do we build people? How do we help people become the person that God has called them to become? And how do we equip them with the tools that are necessary? And how do we help them embody what Jesus was about while he was here on earth? And so out of that was birth the, our, our values. And so... We've talked about over the last couple of weeks that the healthy people grow, and we talked last week about save people, serve people, and this week we're diving in and we're talking about found people, find people. It's a value that we have here. We believe that when Jesus found us, like he went out and he found us because he was already found by the Father, and then we were to go out and we were to find other people. In fact, you can look, if you want to study some of that on your own, John chapter 1 is a great, verses 42 through like 56 or 59, something like that. It's like a great story about where that exact thing happens, where Philip finds an another guy, and Jesus found Philip, and how that process just works. And we just feel like, as Christ followers, we've been given this amazing life through Jesus. And it isn't just so that we can have a great life. And that's a part of it. But it, part of it is, is that we're to go out, and we're to share with other people, and we're to impact other people with the good news of Jesus. And so, 
So today what I'm going to ask you to do is, is I know as soon as we start talking about evangelism and talking to people about our faith, like all of people's barriers go up. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, hold up, wait a minute. Like, I don't know that I'm comfortable doing that. And we have all these fears that are associated with talking with people. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is something that a, an author of, that I like to read named John Acuff says all the time. I'm going to ask you to punch fear in the face today, okay? That's going to be my request of you, is you just need to jack fear right in the face today and be brave. And, and, and I'm going to ask you to be brave in a couple of different areas so that found people can find people, so that your life can be a living, walking, breathing testimony of what Jesus is doing in your life to a lost and dying world. And so today we're going to look at three areas where I believe that we need to be brave in if we're going to be found people who find people. And the first one is this, is we have to be brave and serve without reservation. We've got to be brave people who serve without reservation. Now, some of you guys know me quite well. Some of you guys don't know me very well. But if you get to know me, you'll see some really, really odd things that I do no matter where I'm at or what I'm in. Um, you see some things, and particularly when it comes to, to walking into big groups of people. Like normally if I would walk into a church like this or a service like this or some room where I had friends and then some that I didn't have friends, for some reason, and I don't know why this is, I naturally go and I look for the biggest person that's here like the biggest, buffest person that's in this place, and I go and I start punching them. I, don't ask me why. Like, it's a little man syndrome. I don't know what it is, but like, I just have this idea. Like, you can ask our staff, like, when I walk into the office every day, I look for whoever the biggest guy is that's there. Usually it's Brett or it's Terry. Brett is, Brett, right back here. Brett, stand up real quick so everybody can see how big you are. Brett is big. Like, he's drinking water. Like, look at him. He even flexed for you. Like, even flex, like, don't pop those buttons on that shirt, okay? Um, like, Brett is like six foot four, six foot five, you know, just a beastly guy. And so, like, I'll walk in. First thing I do is I'll walk into Brett's office and I'll just start punching him. And, and, or if Terry's there, the guy that was doing announcements, he's pretty stacked, isn't he? Like, I mean, Terry's a pretty big dude. He's a power lifter. I just start punching him. And, and, and what I figured out is I just like to establish dominance. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. It's just something about it. And I just, I just have to do it. I don't know what it is. So, so if I come and start punching on you, just know what I'm doing. Just, just play, lay back because you don't want to get beat up. I'm just telling you right now. So, but I, I, was, I was studying psychology because I love to do that. I love to study people and I love to study animals. I like to understand why people do the things that they do. And so I was reading and, and I ran across this study that happened that, that really explained why I do this and, and what is the, the habits that are out there. And in psychology, uh, of, of, and it actually comes from an animal from chickens. And they said that in the world of chickens, there is this idea called the pecking order. Anybody ever heard of the pecking order? In fact, I got a definition of it here in case you don't. The pecking order is the basic pattern of social organization within a flock of poultry in which each bird pecks another lower in the scale without fear of retaliation and submits to the pecking by one of higher rank. And so basically what it is, is, is that it's a social order that's within uh, livestock that what happens is if you were to go and take a whole bunch of chickens that didn't know each other, okay, they're from all different chicken areas or whatever, and you're to throw them in a coop. Like they are not going to be okay until they establish the pecking order. Until they figure out who's going to be on top, who's going to be in the middle, and who's going to be at the bottom. And so what happens is typically is the rooster kind of establishes dominance. And so he's at the top. And so what that means is that he can go and pick any other chicken and the other chickens can't do a darn thing about it. 
Like they just have to take it and like it. Now there's some chickens that are there in the middle. They, they get pecked on. And luckily there's some chickens below them so they can retaliate to the lower ones. So like they're getting beat up and so they just beat up on lower ones. You know what I'm saying? And then there's the chicken at the bottom and it just sucks to be him. You know, you just get beat up on all day long. And so the law, the law of the pecking order is in full effect in, in the world of, of poultry. But Jesus actually has something to say about this and actually says, like, this law is in effect with us. And so check out Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. You're going to see right here where Jesus actually talks about the pecking order in life. And he says this, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it that you want, Jesus asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand, and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. And so you have two disciples here, and what's happening is, is, is that these two disciples are trying to establish where they're going to be in the social order of Jesus' kingdom. And so they go to Jesus. Actually, no, they don't. What's sad about these disciples is that they are so freaking scared and weak that they go to their mother and say, Mommy, can you please go ask Jesus where we're going to stand in the social order of life? Like, that's pretty weak right there. And so they're kind of mama's boys, and they go, like, can we be at your right and at your left? And, and you think about that, and you go, like, these jokers were crazy. Like, what in the world were they thinking? Nobody in their right mind really, really cares about where they sit in this world. I mean, who really, really cares where they're sitting, whether it's at the head of the table or just somewhere at the table? Like, nobody really cares about that. Like, nobody really cares where they sit in the car, do they? Nobody ever fights about sitting in the front seat, do they, instead of the back seat? I mean, when you go on your airplane, nobody really wants to sit in first class. Nobody cares about sitting in first class when you can sit next to the toilet and coach. I mean, come on. Like, nobody cares. About, nobody argues about that. Nobody argues about where they fall in the org chart at your work. Like, am I at the top or am I at the bottom? Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about how they look to other people when they walk in a room. Like, nobody cares about where they sit, do they? No, we all care about that stuff. Come on now. You know, when you walked in here today, you were checking an eye and everybody else. Like, what did they went? Oh, I'm better than them. Like, you, you were just trying to establish where you were. You're like, that dress is ugly and her shoes don't match. Anyways. Verse 24. It says, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. What it means is that they were pissed, okay? That's what that means. Jesus just didn't want to say that. Um, but they were mad, and they weren't mad because they were disrupting the community that was going on. They weren't mad because these guys weren't showing humility. They weren't mad because they asked the question. They were mad because they were concerned about where they were going to fall in the pecking order. They weren't mad that these guys asked. They just wanted to know where their status was going to be in all this. And so it continues on in verse 25, and it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over it, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says in verse 26, not so with you. And those four words right there, those are some words you want to highlight or underline. Not so with you. Right here, Jesus is abolishing the pecking order in life. He's saying, listen, I know how the world works. I know what the status of the world is, and there's people above and below. But in my kingdom, it's going to be different than this. It's going to be, it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. There isn't going to be this pecking order. And he goes on to say, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, man, I'm going to abolish the pecking order. 
Like I'm gonna, there's gonna be an order where every person is valuable. There isn't one person that's more valuable than another. What's interesting about the pecking order is the pecking order is everywhere in society. In fact, I kind of did this. I, I kind of made up the pecking order of our church staff. I just thought I would show this to you real quick. Here is the pecking order of the church staff. So, so here's, here's kind of what happens. Like in, in our offices, um, like we're, like it's really not that funny. I mean, they're just people. Don't, don't hate on them, okay? Um, what happens in our church offices is, is like, Somebody makes coffee in our offices, and you know, like, when the beep goes off at the end of coffee, like, beep, 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 like, you know the coffee's made. Coffee is like crack cocaine to us at the church office, okay? Like, well, like, give me some more, you know what I'm saying? And, and so, like, what happens is, is that goes off, and, and, and everybody rushes to get to the coffee. So, so Kyle's hope in life is that he gets to the coffee first. Because <laughs> if Kyle doesn't get there first, Kyle ain't getting any coffee, because Kyle is at the bottom of the pecking board. He's metro. You know, he's, he's hipster. Like, we just beat up those dudes. Like, we just beat them up, okay? Sorry if you're a hipster or metro. Like, like, like that's just what happens. And then, then you got Josh. Like, if Josh gets there at the same time as Kyle, Kyle knows he has to, like, di- like stand back and like, Kyle, let Josh get his. And then he can hopefully get in there and get a little bit. But as soon as Mikey Muscles shows up, let me just tell you something. Mike is the smallest guy on our staff. He's, like, five foot two. But he is the strongest, toughest guy. He's like a honey badger, okay? Like, you do not mess with him. <laughs> Mike will pick up Brett and throw him. But as soon as Terry walks in, it's over for them. Like all of them, it's like, he's like a bowl in a china shop. Like you just don't mess with the Brahma bowl. You know what I'm saying? And so like he bows up and that, that's it. And so that's kind of like, but then there's me and I just over Trump. Actually, this isn't the real, pe- let me, can you put up the real pecking order of our staff? There it is. <laughs> Listen, when you see Shayla coming, you run. Listen, I run. You should run too. Like, because she is the meanest one of them all, okay? Like, stay away from that one. Like, if you tell her I said that, y'all are getting beat up too, okay? She is not here right now. What's Vegas? Coconut Creek is Vegas when it comes to Shayla. Remember that. What Jesus is saying here is that this whole social organization plays out in all of our lives. And, and sometimes it's, it's a little bit more difficult to figure out like where you kind of fall in the social organization of it all. But when you think about it, like think about it like this, like who gives way in conversation when, when somebody walks into the room? Like, do you defer that conversation to somebody else? Like whose jokes do you have to laugh at even when they're not funny because it's a social order of what to do? Like who, who do you, who do you go and, and like you get of the way of because they want to go in that spot that you're in right now because that's part of the social organization. Whether we like it or not, there is this pecking order that is all around us in play at all times. And what Jesus is doing is he's coming along and he's saying, listen, we all know that this exists in life. We all know that there's people that rule over other people. There's people that are above and there's people that are belief. But he says, not so with you. Listen, if you are going to be a follower of me, this is not going to be the way that you're going to live. This is not going to be the way that you're going to act. This is not going to be the way that you organize yourselves. Like, it's not going to be one person is better than the other. It's not about that like that with you. Not so for you, Coastal Community Church. Not so with you. It's not going to be like that in your home. It's not going to be like that in your workplace. It's not going to be with that in your social environments. It's just not going to be that way. It's not going to be so with you. 
And Jesus says, in my kingdom, there isn't going to be all these different levels. There isn't going to be somebody who's better than another person. Because in my kingdom, we're all equal. In my kingdom, we're like Southwest Airlines. There isn't a first class and there isn't a coach. Everybody just boards at the same time. Like, it's going to be different. And it takes a tremendous amount of bravery from us to say, you know what? I'm not going to be all about the pecking order in life. I'm not going to be all about trying to get to a position so I can lord over people. I'm not going to be all about climbing the ladder so I can look down upon other people. In fact, Jesus said, in my kingdom, you're going to get down off the ladder and you're going to push people up so they can see me above all else. The thing is, is as I was looking at this, if I'm real honest, I, I struggle really big with this. Like, I like my picture being at the top of the pecking order. I'm going to guess you probably like your picture being at the top of the pecking order too. Because most of us do. It doesn't take much bravery to just go along with what the world says, but it takes a whole lot of bravery to go with what Jesus says. To like buck the trend. And what I've found is, is the way that I get myself out of this mentality of the pecking order is that I've found that I've got to have regular amounts of serving in my life of other people. I've got to get to a place where I go and say, you know what, you are more important than I am. Like the needs that you have are more important than the needs that I have. Like your value is greater than my value right now. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you get lifted up out of your situation while I get pushed down in mine. We've got to develop this pattern of serving in our life. And if we want to abolish the pecking order in our life, man, we've got to get to this place where we say, you know what, I'm going to serve without reservation. It's one of the reasons why we encourage you so much here at Coastal to get involved and serve, man. It's not so that you can just fill some positions. It's so you can break this, this pecking order establishment in life so that we can live in the way that the kingdom of God is established. That's what we tell you. Man, it's not about you handing a bulletin to a person. It's about you saying, like, you're important enough that I would take my time to make sure you got all the information you need. It's about not about going back there and being a part of the kids' ministry. It's about saying, you know what? Your kids are so important. Like, they're not the generation of tomorrow. They're the generation of today and like, man, I want to help them become the kids that God has called them to become. It's about going into Collier City, not to serve, just to give out some handouts to people, but it's about saying like, listen, you are valuable. Your situation doesn't determine your worth. And I want to help raise you up out of your situation so you can see the glory of God in everything that's happening here. And so if we're going to abolish this, this pecking order and this mentality of like, I'm better than them and where do I stand in all this, we've got to be a people that are all about serving without reservation. We've got to be brave in that. But we also have to be, number two, be brave in love without borders. We have to be brave in love without borders. What that's basically saying is, is the borders in our life are, is the areas, the walls that we build up that, that establish our comfort. Because we all have those places in life where we are comfortable. Like this is, this, I'm good right here. Like I don't, like this isn't, this isn't stretching me at all. This isn't forcing me outside of what I know and what I believe. But, but what we have to do is we have to get outside of ourselves. Because when we stay within our borders, we're never moving Jesus to a place to where he can impact people because we're always staying in the same place where we're comfortable. 
And if, if you start studying the early church, and I love the early church, I love reading the book of Acts, I love reading early church history. The early church was about getting outside of themselves, about getting outside of their comfort zone. And they were all about getting outside of themselves and loving without any borders. And why were they doing that? In 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12, I mean, it explains it pretty well. It says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It says no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, everybody sees God in us. Like everybody wants to see God. You want to know how they see God? They see God by how we love people. You want to be the picture of Jesus and you want to be the picture of God to people, then you have to love people un unaboundedly, unashamedly, without reservation, without borders in life. And as you start studying the early church and you start looking at the early church and start seeing how thousands were coming to Christ on a daily basis, I mean, those are astronomical numbers. And you start thinking about what was happening in the context of what was going on. I mean, there were massive plagues that were going on during the early church time. I mean, plagues so bad that in Rome, they were burying five, four, three thousand people every single day because these plagues and these, these diseases were just running rampant. And because of the rampantness of this, I mean, people were throwing out their family and their friends because they were diseased and they were just trying to save themselves. And here comes the Christians who just show love without any thought of themselves. In fact, there's a bishop of Alexandria, and this is what he said. Can you guys throw that up on the screen? He says, most of our brother Christians showed unabounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. It says, man, they never thought of themselves. They were always thinking about other people. They were always thinking about where they were. They said, heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely, happily. It's saying that, man, because they were caring for other people, it was, in fact, taking their own life. And he goes on to say, and... The heathen acted in a very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated, them un and treated the unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread of the contagion of the fatal disease. And so what's happening is, is, is these pagan people that are all around, what's happening is, is their loved ones and their family members, their sons and their daughters and their, their parents are getting this disease and they're just tossing them out in the streets. And they're saying, man, I'm just trying to save myself. And the Christians who are being persecuted by the, the Roman Empire at this time, they're coming along and they're saying, you know what? We're going to love these people. We're not just going to love the people that are with us. We're going to love the people that aren't even with us right now. And they go out and they start loving these people unconditionally. And because they're loving these people unconditionally, the entire world is looking around and going, what's up with that? What's up with those people? Like, why are they doing that? And Christianity just starts to explode. Like, because they're known as these people that are full of love. In fact, they had a nickname for them. They were called the Parabolani. And it was me. What it meant was is gamblers of life. They were willing to gamble their life so they could show love to other people. That right there is crazy to us. But that's exactly 
what the church that Jesus established was all about. And Christianity continued to explode. And, and a couple of Roman emperors later, um, there, was, there was another emperor that came along. And he decided like Christianity was the cause of all of the diseases that were happening. And so what he decided to do is he decided, you know what? We're going to make paganism the new religion of our, of our country. And so Rome became a pagan civilization. And they were paying priests to be pagan priests and to convert people to paganism. And, and in the midst of that, uh, Emperor Julian, this is what he said, because the Christians are still acting in love. And this is what he said. He said, recent, recent Christian growth is caused by their moral character. Even if pretended, he's like, I don't even know if they're real or not, but like they are really, really good fakers. And he said, by their benevolence towards strangers. I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priests, who, by the way, he's paying right now to be priests. He's paying them to love people and to care for people. They're being neglected. He says, the, imp the impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. And so what's happening is, 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 is this guy is trying to convince his people like, hey, we're going to be a pagan civilization. But all of a sudden these Christians are coming through and they're caring for everybody. And because they're caring for everybody, like he's like, what's up with that? Like we can't even get this paganism started even if we pay people. Because the love of these people is so great that people are compelled to follow Jesus because of them. He couldn't stop Christianity because people were so loving. Now, when we think about Christianity today, we don't really think about loving people. We think about judgmental people. We think about arrogant people. We think about bickering people. We think about backbiting people. We think about shallow people, hostile people, quarrelsome, petty but if you would have asked 1,500 years ago, man, what do you, how do you describe those people that are called Christians? And they would say, man, they are reckless lovers. Reckless lovers. And my question for all of us is, is when did that change? Like, when did that change take place? Because as I read my Bible, when did we go from these people that were loving to fighting and judging and, and as I read scripture, my understanding is that the only thing that we are to impose on a lost and dying world that don't know Jesus is in our thoughts, is in our attitude, it's our love. It's the only thing we are to impose on them. We're not to impose our beliefs, we're to impose God's love. That's why as a church, we've always been about a statement that we make. We're about loving God, loving people which a lot of churches make those two statements. Those are really easy statements to make, but the third part of it makes it and showing it. See, love isn't words, love is action. Love isn't saying, oh man, I wanna help you. Love is getting down into the grimy and helping someone out. And for some of us here, we've got to get to this place where we say, you know what? It's not just enough to know about God and to experience his love. It's got to be about like, how am I going to be brave and get outside of my life, outside of myself and outside of my comfort? And how am I going to start to show love without borders to people? I want to get, get beyond where I find myself. And, and I know it's really hard to get outside of yourself because we have all these reasons why we can't. 
We have all these attitudes that are still there and, and we don't feel up to the task that maybe God is calling to. And the thing that I love about God is God is always like, bring me your fear, bring me your insecurity, bring me your apprehensions, bring all that stuff to me and watch what I can do with you. Watch what I can do. Listen, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best looking. I am evidence of that. But if you have a wicked shoe game, Jesus can do anything with you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus is just like, man, if you just go around and you go, God, here I am, use me. You know what God will do? God will start using you. And so we've, we've got to be brave and, and start serving people. We've got to be brave and we've got to love without borders. But most of all, we've got to be brave and we've got to be willing to share our story. When I was a teenager, I got caught up in the wrong crowd and uh, I started making really bad decisions and that led to me getting raped at a party. And uh, I didn't tell anybody about it. And that led to me really just hating who I was and, and that developed eating disorders and self-harm and um, I just got to such a low place and eventually got caught up in, in more bad decisions which led to getting arrested and uh, I, I just got to such a low point I had nothing to live for anymore and I was, I was at the point of taking my life. I had contemplated suicide multiple times and uh, actually researched online how to painlessly kill yourself. And uh, I knew that at that point I needed to do something. I was going to reach out to one more person and if that person didn't care enough to help me, that was, that was it. I was done. I was kind of a weird kid growing up. Um, most kids get dragged to church by their parents, but instead I begged my parents to drop me off at church. Um, I grew up in the church, I grew up in a Christian school, but there was always something missing. There was always a void that couldn't be filled. And uh, it wasn't until I started attending Coastal and starting to see the DNA of the church and, and getting involved and starting to serve. And it was a regular Sunday. I was walking around like I normally do, just talking with people and, and building relationships. And a young woman approached me and she said, hey, do you mind if we have coffee? I want to learn about some ways to get involved in Coastal and to, and, and to get plugged in because I want to be a part of this church. And that's normal. So I was like, of course. I felt comfortable around her. and. Um, I, I approached her one day at church and she, she was very open and willing to meet with me for coffee and I don't think she realized what an impact she was having on me just by meeting for coffee. And um, she met with me at Starbucks, we talked about uh, how to get involved and, and what I could do to be a part of Coastal and not just attend. We had great conversation and, and we left away from it just realizing that we were going to be friends for a while. I didn't tell her about anything that was going on in my life uh, as far as not even wanting to, to live another day. And uh, I went home in tears and knew that this was it. My life was about to change drastically. And um, I sat down and wrote her a letter about how just meeting for coffee saved somebody's life. Two weeks later, I received a letter in the mail and I read it 
and it changed how I view ministry, how I view serving, how I view finding people. Susie, I am writing you this letter to let you know how much I appreciate you. I feel that there is something you need to know. The day that I texted you initially to get involved was actually a cry out for help. The fact that you took the initiative to meet up with me is very important. You do not know this, but I was planning on taking my life that day. You stopped me from doing it unknowingly. The fact that you took time out of your day to meet with me changed my life. You cared enough to support me and talk to me and ultimately distract me from ending my life. Thank you for opening my eyes and my heart to what could be. Thank you for having faith in me. And most of all, thank you for being the godly woman that you are, because you are truly an amazing role model. After meeting with Susie, I knew that things needed to change. I needed to make some changes in life, and it wasn't overnight. It was, it's a continual process. But um, I'm, I'm so excited about what God's doing in my life and what He's done in my life so far and, and just the impact that I'm allowed to have on people now because of the things that I've been through. I'm so thankful for all the things that God's done in my life and the change that's happened in my life. And it's given me opportunity to invite people to Coastal and, and make an impact in their life. And I'm just so thankful for it. I appeared happy on the outside, but inside I was a wreck. I was drowning myself in alcohol nightly. I didn't really know how to stop it or what to do or even where to turn. Even the loved ones, I felt ashamed because, you know, ask for help, that's not what a man's supposed to do. So I saw a post by Caitlin Baker on Instagram that said, grow a pair. And uh, with the imagery that was used, I thought that was pretty funny and, you know, unconventional for a church to use. So I decided to check it out. It was rough at first because I was never from a religious background, but Coastal was more about, you know, helping and not really so concerned about you know, religion. And I really held on to that, grasped on to that. And uh, through time, I kept going every Sunday, you know, meeting new people. And I finally made a decision in my life, a public declaration of Christ to get baptized, which is a huge thing because I never grew up in a Christian or religious household at all. It was a life-changing decision. And while, you know, and while I, I am baptized and I do, you know, pledge my life to Christ, I still do have demons I do battle, but now I don't battle them alone anymore. I battle them with the help of Coastal and of course Christ, so I'm forever grateful for that. I love my church because it gave me hope. I love my church because it's a place where people can belong before they believe. I love my church because it changed my life completely. Yeah. See, found people, find people. Susie came to church knowing a lot about religion, but very little about this God that wanted to have a relationship. And as God started to transform her life and started to, to write this amazing story of what he's doing, here comes a, another young lady that's been around church a lot and knows a lot of information, but hasn't really experienced a relationship. And because somebody was willing to go out of their way and serve and to, to love and didn't even know what they were doing in the moment, a life was instantly transformed. 
And because that life was transformed, her passion for Jesus just started exuding out in every aspect of her life. From what she says on Facebook to what she posts on Instagram. And, and a lost and dying world is out there looking for answers that they can't find anywhere else in Jesus. And they see a picture of a church that's doing a series called Grow a Pair. And I love what Josh said. He said, balls got me to church. <laughs> Whatever it takes. You know, and, and this is what I know. Those are just, those are just three people of the hundreds of people whose lives have been transformed here. And every single one of those numbers are important because every single one of those numbers has a name. And every single one of those names has a story. And every single one of those stories are important to God. And that story that he's writing in your life, he doesn't just writing it so you can have a great story. He's writing that story so you can share that story to give hope. It isn't for your glory, but it's for his. Because every time you share your story, you're a distributor of hope to this world that is looking for hope in every situation they can find. And your story is the greatest news that most people will ever hear. That's why Jesus told us in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, go wherever you go in this world. Tell people the good news. That isn't necessarily like you got to know how to preach Romans Road or do all that stuff. What you got to know is you got to say, hey man, Jesus radically transformed my life. You know what? I bet you he can do the same for you. And I, this is what I know is that he wants to do the same for you. He's just waiting for us to be brave enough to go in the world and say, you know what? I'm going to serve and I'm going to love without borders. But more than that, I'm going to share what God's done in my life and I'm going to watch him transform lives. And for us as a church, man, this is just something that we just say, like, man, we're going to, this is something that we're going to, this is, a, we're throwing the gauntlet down right here. This is what we're about. We're about found people finding people. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. He told us to go and to share it. And so my challenge for all of us is, is will we be brave enough to, to step up to the challenge of Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to serve people. Even when it doesn't feel like I should, even when it, it hurts me a little bit, I'm going to love people, even when it might cost me a little bit. And I'm going to share what Jesus has done because the reality is, is that until we're willing to do that, nobody's going to look and say, you know what, those people aren't about bickering. Those people aren't about fighting. What they should be saying about all of us is, man, those people are just about reckless love. They're the today's version of the parabolati. The nickname that says, man, they, that they're gamblers with their life. They're gambling their life and they're betting it all on Jesus. Church, that's what we're about. It's the heartbeat of Coastal because it's the heartbeat of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just come before you today and I just pray right now that you would challenge every single one of us, God, here today to be brave. God, that we would literally put our faith in you and as we put our faith in you, punch that fear and that apprehension and all of the reasons why we can't in the face right now in the name of Jesus. God, and that we would, we would step up and we say, you know what? I'm going to serve because I want to break 
the pecking order cycle that is running so rampant in this world. And I want to, I want to show people that, man, I'm not about myself. I'm about exalting others so that they can see Jesus. And while I'm exalting them, while I'm helping them, and while I'm serving them, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them love like they've never experienced before in their life. And because they see and they feel and they experience that love, man, as I share that story, like hope is going to permeate through my bones. God, I pray for every single one of us that you would give us divine appointments with people, God, that as we walk about life, we wouldn't be oblivious to the hurt and to the pain and to the need that's all around us, but God, that we would step up and step out in those situations and say, you know what? I don't know exactly what you're going through, and I don't know exactly how I can help, but I'm here, and I want to tell you that there is hope for your situation because Jesus is here, and anything can happen. God, I pray that, man, we'd be fire was shot up in our bones right now in the name of Jesus. And we become passionate for you and what you're all about, God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.